Social justice means applying the law equally to all people. But in practice, that doesn't always happen. I'm John Gonzalez. I'm here at my law partner, Jack Derora. We practice law. We seek social justice. On this show, we reveal the conflict between the two. You know, for a while, it was just us in the office over a cup of coffee talking about the news of the day with social justice issues dominating our culture. Our focus became how do we as lawyers make a difference? And now it's not just us. Today we have Lalitha Pamidi Gantam. Pamidi Gantam. Thank you. And Mallory Golski. Mm-hmm to talk about Ohio's proposed legislation targeting transgender youth. Lalitha is an advocacy manager for the uh, YWCA, and Mallory is a civic uh, engagement and advocacy manager at Kaleidoscope Youth Center. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. We're going to talk about uh, Ohio's proposed legislation targeting transgender youth. Jack, have you heard the uh, term elevator speech? Well, yes, I have. All right. So when I was running for judge years ago, I would have to tell people about myself and, you know, you had to do it pretty quick. So I developed a little uh, elevator speech, so to speak. But mine was, uh, hello, I'm Ann Gonzalez's husband. (laughs) Uh, My wife was the mayor of Westerville and she was on, um, she was one of our uh, state representatives and was very well known. So inevitably when I introduced myself, somebody would say, are you Ann's husband? So what was your elevator speech? Mine's pretty simple. I would say, you know, I'm a business lawyer. If people ask questions, I'd explain that. And I'd say I also try cases. And I might say, you know, I'm from Steubenville and I served in the Navy, got here in 1991. I don't say a whole lot because I'm always afraid of boring people. <laughs> and I, I felt it wasn't necessary to say, and oh, by the way, I'm an old white guy because I thought that was self-evident. <laughs> well, I saw um, an article uh, with Lalitha, and here's how she described herself. Okay. I am a intersectional multi-marginalized, anti-imperialist, socialist feminist. Do you remember that? Yeah, I wrote that when I was 17, a freshman (laughs) at Ohio State. Um, I had not even picked my major at that point. So I was just kind of throwing words of who I thought I was and who I thought I was going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely still agree with the underlying notions of a lot of those terms, but I have since learned so much more about who I am. So um, the more podcasts we do and the things that we uh, look at in some of these socialist issues, here's going to be my new elevator speech. Do tell us. Um, Cisgender, heterosexual, Mm -hmm. older white male Mm -hmm. who believes in a woman's right to choose, freedom from government intrusion in our private lives, and the right to love whoever you want to. That's pretty good. I think that'll spark any conversation oh, in the circles that I Oh, yeah, <laughs> <I'm> absolutely. <in. laughs> um, I know that I've told you this before. Um, my daughter, Lois, our middle child, when she was in seventh grade, did not make the cheerleading squad and uh, the football squ- uh, squad for cheering. So she went out for football. And Lois played the whole year in football. And at that time, she was probably the fastest kid on the field um, and one of the taller ones. And, you know, we, I really enjoyed watching her play, but I would be there with all the other fathers and we'd be sitting there watching the game just, you know, it's a, it's a Saturday morning and they would be like, oh, which son is yours? And I'm like, uh, 
it's my daughter out there. And then it was like, oh boy, like, you know, he's got a girl playing. Um, but in any event, um, she didn't want to play the next year when she got to uh, eighth grade. But also the boys started getting bigger. Not all of them, but we were starting to have some concern that she might get hurt if she continued on playing. Oh, good thought. Yeah. And so it kind of takes me to this House Bill 6. It's called Save Women's Sports Act. And I'll throw this out to Mallory. What's that act about in your mind? Sure. So something important to note is that the premise of House Bill 6, those provisions, was actually just amended into House Bill 68, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, but for folks who are following along in this legislation at home, it's something to note that, yes, House Bill 6 passed out of committee recently, but 68 is actually the one we're keeping our eye on more closely right now just because it kind of encompasses a few um, anti-LGBT, anti-transgender uh, provisions. So same same legislation, just different numbers, right? And so House Bill 6 actually seeks to prevent transgender girls and women from competing in school sports at the K-12 and collegiate levels in Ohio. Um, it says that uh, students must actually specifically um, transgender women, so people who are assigned male at birth, are prevented from playing sports that are female athletic teams. Um, it actually explicitly says that it does not care what uh, transgender men play, what teams they play on. It doesn't matter male sports teams, like anybody can play on those teams. It's specifically targeting women's sports teams and in effect transgender women and girls. So when I think about my daughter playing with, um, with boys and being concerned, especially in a violent game like football, that they're bigger, stronger, and faster, uh, what's wrong with the premise of this law uh, if it's to um, make sure there's not an imbalance playing field? Well, what's really interesting is the anecdote you just described of your daughter playing on a male football team. Under this law, if it were to pass, she would still be allowed to play on the male football team because it says nothing about preventing people from participating in the male sports teams. Um, so she could continue playing, even though, as you described, once you know eighth grade start to hit, you realize, okay, maybe these boys are getting a little bit taller, maybe a little bit more muscular in some cases, right? Um, but you also said your daughter is you know, was one of the fastest people on the team. So, you know, she, she could still keep up. Um, so I, I think the premise that, you know, um, we're trying to protect, you know, the more marginalized group is actually kind of a misnomer because we know that regardless of the sex you were assigned at birth, it doesn't matter. Some people are taller, some people are faster, some people are stronger, especially when they're adolescents, when they're playing sports at that K-12 level. I um, played football when um, Archie Griffin's cousin played in um, in Columbus City League in high school and uh, it was a man among boys oh was he? you know and, and I wasn't a bad athlete in my day and I couldn't hold a candle to him and I remember coming off the field after getting trounced um, <laughs> my dad said hey did you go up and shake uh, Ray Griffin's hand and I said no why because I want to tell my buddies at work that you at least touched him today <laughs> because he ran all through us but it's like you say that there's nobody stopping these athletes like LeBron James or somebody that has this extraordinary talent to dominate in high school or, or, you know, wherever. I mean, at some point they, they rise to a level where the talent starts to catch up. But, um, you know, I, I, I understand the, uh, I guess, the argument that our legislators are trying to make, 
but also that it kind of falls flat when you start to think it through. Sure. So I will be the first to admit I don't know much about football or basketball, but if I do know something about a sport, it's swimming. I've grown up as a swimmer. I've been a competitive swimmer. Well, I started swimming competitively 15, 16 years ago, and I still swim with a master's team. But my closest connection to the sport right now is that I'm a swim coach for a youth league here in in Columbus, a youth team. And I've had the pleasure of coaching dozens of swimmers over the past 10 years. This year marks 10 years since I first started coaching. And I've coached kids who are four years old, and this is their first time trying to make it across the pool. And I've coached people who are in high school who are trying to compete for, you know, district sectionals, things like that. And recently, I've had the opportunity to coach a transgender swimmer. This swimmer was assigned male at birth. And when I first met this person, um, she was going by a different name. She was going by her given name. And it was actually earlier um, this past season that she introduced herself by her chosen name um, and, and started coming out as transgender. And the first time I saw this swimmer show up to practice, she was wearing a girl's suit for the first time um, in the fall season. And it was like seeing a completely different kid come onto the pool deck, Um, whereas before she had kind of sat on the bleachers before practice with her sweats on, um, you know, obviously trying to cover herself up as much as possible, quickly got in the pool, quickly got out of the pool, threw her towel on as fast as possible, right? Because with swimming, it's quite obvious, like, you know, the skin that you're showing, the amount of skin that you're showing. Um, When she showed up in that female practice suit for the first time, I mean, her sweats were off. She was standing there striking a pose. It was clear that she was like, hey, everyone, look at me. You know, and that's just that one initial bout of confidence that I saw from her in those initial stages of her coming out as trans. Um, But this summer season is actually the first time she's actually been competing as a girl. And with the league that we compete for, you actually, unless you're competing at the elite levels, like if you're going to junior Olympics, junior nationals, those kinds of elite meets, It's actually a quite simple process to change um, the gender markers that you are competing under. It's quite simple to change your name. Um, Unlike, you know, currently under the OHSA guidelines that um, Ohio High School Athletics are governed by, um, there, you know, there's a procedure in place. And we've often cited that as being something that is um, quite thorough, if not overly thorough sometimes, as far as proving your hormone levels and having been under this um, hormone replacement therapy treatments for at least a year um, prior to competition to prove that you're not experiencing any sort of physiological advantages, right? And under the league that I coach for, it was very simple because it's understanding that most young athletes, especially those who are in high school and have not, you know, gotten all of the muscles that they're going to get or, you know, whatever, they are not competing at the elite level as some of those athletes that you described. And, And in contrast, somebody like Michael Phelps, His wingspan is longer than the height of his body, which for most people, fingertip to fingertip is about as tall as your body. And his is about, I want to say like six inches longer, right? And he's got unusually flexible ankles. His body produces less lactic acid than others. And nobody has said, you know what? I don't think he should compete in the Olympics because he has these biological advantages. And yet so many legislators, so many people are concerned about what these high schoolers' bodies are like when... In reality, in most cases, regardless of the sex you were assigned at birth, regardless of the gender that they identify with, they're very much at the same level of competition. I want to go back to something you said because it got, you said it quickly, something about in the Ohio High School Athletic Association, they're doing hormone testing. So if a student who was assigned 
let's use this in you know this same scenario if a student who is assigned male at birth Mm -hmm. decides that you know she's coming out as transgender and wants to compete on a sports team that aligns with her gender identity so she was assigned male at birth she decides she wants to compete on the female sports teams Mm -hmm. now mind you i just want to you know get ahead of some misnomers this is not some you know male athlete who's maybe not competing well against the men and who wants to decide you know what i want to win first place so i'm going to compete in the female league no one's doing that. This is somebody who is transgender, is female, you know, was not assigned female at birth, but they want to compete with their peers who more closely identify with their gender identity or align with their gender identity, I should say. OHSAA policies say that you have to be receiving, so in this case, estrogen. You have to have been on estrogen for at least a year prior to that. And there's all sorts of tests. So like if I, for instance, a cisgender woman were to compete, no one is checking my hormones, right? But somebody who's a transgender woman, they would have to, you know, go to their doctor as part of their physical prior to that sports season and to prove that their their testosterone levels are similar to what a cisgender female's levels would be at that at that same point in their development. Well, wait a minute. Now I'm confused because isn't there a proposal in the state house to ban gender affirming care? Yes. <laughs> so you wouldn't be able to get that hormone replacement if you're a transgender woman, which I guess is a way then of precluding that trans girl from participating in girl sports. Do I have that right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and it's not just precluding them from the sports, right? When it comes to 68, right? It is precluding them from having anything in their lives that would be gender affirming um, from their medical care. And for us at YWCA Columbus, why we're interested in this particular uh, fight is because sports are a part of empowerment. Look, I am built like a twig. I never did sports. I'm a cisgender woman. I was in the marching band. Um, I would get bent out of shape if a cisgender woman competed with me on a sports team. I do not run. I do not do anything of that nature. But being a part of a, a team in high school like the marching band gave me a sense of community, gave me a sense of purpose and empowerment. And being in those spaces is absolutely vital for anyone, but especially marginalized people. So we think about this a lot at YW because... When we talk about empowering women, which is a part of our mission to eliminate racism and empower women, this is a core part, a core tenet of what we're fighting for, these spaces of safety and empowerment for all girls and women. So that's why six, House Bill 6 is so frightening to us, even as a uh, nonprofit that is not necessarily uh, directly related to these particular issues. Let me ask one more follow-up question. I'm drawing the inference from something you said, Mallory, that suggests to me that you're hearing, perhaps from legislators, that some men, in their view, are becoming trans women just so that they can win when they couldn't win as men. I mean, are you... Is that what you're hearing? That That is an argument that we've heard thrown our way um, very much throughout this process, right? And the example that's often tossed out is a swimmer named Leah Thomas. And Leah Thomas um, competed at the NCAA Division One Swimming Championship meet last year. And she competed in the 500 freestyle, among other things, right? And I don't remember the statistics for when Leah was competing as a male swimmer, right? But she wasn't necessarily taking away gold from the those 
those events. And this is the argument that comes up when people find out that she won first place in the 500 freestyle. So people think, well, you know, she wasn't competing at the, you know, as the best of the best, right, competing as a male. So course she's going to try to compete against the cisgender women and that's simply not the case nobody is going to jump through all of these hoops to try to receive you know because they would have to receive the hormone treatments for a year you know and they would have to go through all these processes no one is doing that right and i also want to point out to anybody who wants to use that leah thomas argument that katie ledecky who is a cisgender Olympic athlete. She still holds the record and has for the past six years in the 500 freestyle at the NCAA championship record title, right? She's held that. And it's still nine seconds faster than what Leah went last year. So anyone who says that all trans women are going to be faster than their cisgender peers is simply not accurate. When you use the term cisgender, make sure I understand what that means, please. Absolutely. Yeah. So cisgender is simply a term. You may hear this as cis as well. It's a term that means the sex you were assigned at birth. So when you were born, a doctor or somebody looked at your parts and said, okay, this is a male and this is a female, right? Um, Cisgender is somebody who, whatever they were assigned at birth, that continues to align with their gender identity. So I was assigned female at birth and I still identify as female. Transgender is somebody who was assigned a gender at birth or assigned a sex at birth, rather, and their gender identity does not align with that sex assigned at birth. When you look at the number of transgender kids trying to play sports like we're talking about, it can't be that many. But if you look at the legislation across the country, it's incredible how many states and how many laws have been passed. Am I reading that right? Yes, absolutely. There are not that many, Mallory. Do you know the number I in Ohio? It's less than 10. It's, yeah. it's like six in this mm-hmm. past school year. It is. And at, at, Excuse me, at, at what education level? K-12. Well, well, this law goes all the way down to kindergarten, right? Absolutely. Uh, which is incredible to me because, you know, when my kids were in sports and they're, uh, you know, especially if you think of soccer, those kids play girls and boys, you know, mm-hmm. together, uh, you know, and I don't know how, how long they do that. But why do you have to reach all the way back to kindergarten to, to, to you know, uh, put this law in place? You had mentioned that Um, House Bill 6 was going to be amended into House Bill 68. And House Bill 68 is what we're talking about as far as the uh, treatment, right? Yes. Now, I don't know if this is correct, but is House Bill, is one of those further along than the other? Is that why there's an amendment? Um, Do you mean in the process, the legislative process? Yes. Yeah, so House Bill 68 passed the House, so it will be going towards the Senate. Um, Why House Bill 6 was amended into 68 is likely political reasons, because the sponsor of House Bill 6, um, Jenna Powell is her name, Uh, Representative Powell, um, I've just heard that there are some political reasons as to why her bill was amended into 68. Um, so it just became the vehicle for it. And so it's going to move into the Senate where we will have more opportunities to testify against it and write against it. Um, but the Senate strategy is going to look pretty different from the from the House strategy because in the House, there was a divided caucus. There still is a divided Republican caucus. So there's a more extreme right-wing caucus and a quote-unquote more moderate uh, Republican caucus, if you can even call them moderates anymore. Um, and so that strategy looked different. Um, and in, in some cases, in my perception, perhaps was easier because the Senate Republican caucus is pretty put together. So it is going to be a different strategy. 
I was going to ask you or either of you about that. Um, both of you work with our legislatures. Is that right? As part of your job? Yes. Why are all of these bills coming out of the House as opposed to coming out of the Senate? Maybe you just answered it because it's a leadership issue. I think so. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it is a lot of it looks like electioneering. A lot of it to me looks like uh, trying to gain a leg up on their colleagues and try to, uh, especially the the more uh, right-wing faction, trying to gain some sort of power over the more moderate uh, caucus that um, is more or less siding with uh, Democrats for a lot of different reasons um, and trying to get their house in order. I think, too, um, prior to working for Kaleidoscope Youth Center, I worked in the legislature. I was a staff member. And one of the overarching themes that emerges is that um, the Senate likes to see itself as the upper chamber, the more distinguished of the two chambers, right? And it's often kind of like sometimes tongue-in-cheek, sometimes with some legitimacy is referring to the House as like, oh, the House. Well, they they need to get their stuff together over there that they're seen as the lower chamber, right? Whereas the Senate is, right? And I think the Senate kind of relies on the House to introduce these bills so that they're not seen as the you know more radical sponsors of these bills, but they're also not saying, oh, well, we are not going to pass these either. So there's yeah. a little bit of that at and play. Then, I mean, this is all the march up to 2024, right? Like this sure. is spelled out strategy from the right wing, like from folks like the Heritage Foundation who are shopping these pieces of legislation around to quote unquote right wing states like Florida. Um, a lot of people um, on the right will say, or the Republican side will say, Ohio is the next Florida. Um, and people on the left will say, oh, God, Ohio is the next Florida. Um, so let, that's happening as well. Let me jump on that for a second. Um, you think it's the Heritage Foundation that is providing template l- legislation for red states? I think they're probably not working alone. It's it's yeah. a number of right-wing extremist you know, groups, organizations, think tanks. Um, but yes, I mean, there's it's not a coincidence that so many of these pieces of legislation statewide, whether it's gender affirming care bans, whether it's bathroom bills, whether it's trans transgender athlete ban legislation, why they look so virtually identical. And and we know, as we said before, you know, there's six athletes in Ohio who are competing, you know, as trans athletes. Like it's not like this is some like broad sweeping problem or, you know, it, it wouldn't be a problem even if there were six hundred athletes, right? Um, it's not like it's some like, you know, wide sweeping thing that's happening, yet the legislation is so pervasive and it's coming from somewhere, right? And it's not coming in a seeking to solve a problem, right? It's coming to seek a political agenda. Well, you know, the paradigm at the state house is reason and logic will never be an impediment to us. Well, one of the <laughs> things I think that, that happens too, and it maybe it's just a natural process of our system, is is that the um, House of Representatives, these people, especially the conservatives, want conservative bona fides because a lot of them are looking for higher office. And so if they can get on the conservative bandwagon and get kind of this, in my mind, this, this r- really right-wing votes – they're going to do it. And th- this is easy legislation to do that because it looks like we're a mini Florida already as far as the Republicans because Florida is ahead of us passing all of this legislation. Then here comes Ohio. Um, it's it's disappointing to, uh, to see it. Um, but again, I, I think it does go back to this split. Um, and Jack, I don't know if you're aware, but the speaker 
did not have the full caucus support to be speaker. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you sure. realize that. And so then uh, what, he, what happens is, is there's a very strong conservative right-wing element to the House. Uh, Matt Huffman doesn't have that problem in the Senate. Nothing's going to get to the floor of the Senate without Matt Huffman saying so. Mm-hmm. The speaker probably doesn't have that uh, power like they've had in the past in the, uh, in the House. Well, the one thing we can hope for is that these pieces of legislation will be attacked by the ACLU and other groups. In fact, I can't remember where I read that there was a victory. Mm. I can't remember the state, but similar legislation. Yeah. And certainly the anti-woke bill in Florida was the subject of federal legis- or federal litigation. Well, well, don't speak too fast because if you look at the uh, bill, let me see, I think it's in House Bill 6, they give a private cause of action oh, if no. you're uh, offended by um, somebody trying to uh, violate the bill and you get your attorney fees if you win. So, uh, you know, and listen, I mean, you and I laugh at that, but when uh, in our country, and everybody probably knows this here, uh, you pay your own attorney fees. Right. And that stops people from bringing certain lawsuits because they may not be able to afford it. When you change that by legislation or by contract, it's an incentive because lawyers would love to sue a school district because there's money there and we can make money as lawyers. So so that's actually a very, very, um, very much an incentive to keep, you know, to regulate this bill. so let's talk then about the um, single-sex bathroom access. Now, that's I have that down as a House Bill 183. Mallory, what's going on with that one? Sure. So that bill actually has um, only been assigned to committee. It has not had any hearings, even including sponsor testimony as well. So that's pretty like low on the list of bills that have made it further through the legislature. That's not to say it's low on our list of priorities or that it's not on our radar, right? It just hasn't had the movement that some of these other bills have had. Um, but yeah, that bill would essentially prevent um, like schools, whether whether that's at the K-12 or college level, from allowing people into bathrooms who, um, you know, same same deal as House Bill 6, like they couldn't go into the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity. It would have to be the bathroom that aligns with the sex that they were assigned at birth. And I'll use, you know, my... Um, swim coaching experience, my, well, let's talk about swim coaching experience. We talk about like, you know, predators in the bathrooms, right? This is what they're trying to prevent, right? right? No young person is trying to go into these bathrooms to do anything other than go to the bathroom. We can all think back to our high school experiences when we have like two minutes to get from (laughs) one side of the building to the other and stop at our locker and navigate navigate the traffic of people who are walking on the left side instead of the right side, right? It's difficult to get from classroom to classroom. And when you have to go to the bathroom, you're just trying to get in and out, right? You're not trying to do anything else. And I speak to countless young people in both my coaching and in my work at KYC who say, A, we don't have time to go to the bathroom, period. And B, for young people who are relying on, you know, single stall restrooms, like, you know, gender neutral restrooms that, you know, and this is in the fortunate case that schools are offering these for for young people. Um, There's a line. 
they're, they close the bathrooms because they think they're being a distraction. There are young people who are not drinking water through the day. I coach one young person in particular who comes to practice and is always dizzy or dehydrated because they haven't been drinking water throughout the day in an effort to not have to go to the bathroom. And that's dangerous for so many reasons. We all know this, right? I'm not a doctor, but we can all imagine what happens when you don't drink water and you don't go to the bathroom throughout the day. But these are the measures that young people are resorting to. Some young people have described already being targeted for being in the bathroom that that even if it does align with their, the sex assigned at birth because they go to that one thinking that'll be more safe for them and yet they're targeted because of how they're dressing. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, we, we know that this is happening regardless of whether this bill passes and it's only going to become much more, you know, dangerous if it does. It's the thing that is so interesting about this bathroom legislation is all you have to do is say transgender in bathroom and it immediately creates this notion of terrible things happening irrespective of the reality that you've just described but it's something that resonates right now with people who don't bother to really think about it And I have this um, unique experience because I was sexually assaulted um, on my high school campus, Um, not in a bathroom, but that did happen on my high school campus. And the idea that bathrooms are the thing to be looking out for or transgender kids are the ones to be looking out for in this idea that this is predatory, right, Um, or quote unquote predatory, when sexual assault against young girls, young people is a epidemic, like it is horrendous what is happening um, what continues to happen and what is rising in levels of happening against young kids and their bodies so it makes me really angry when they lie about this quote-unquote predatory behavior um, that supposedly purportedly transgender kids or transgender people are committing when that's not the case and if you really want to solve that problem we need other structural solutions that support victims and actually center victims at the center of this narrative and transgender people especially transgender girls black transgender uh, women in, uh, in particular are some of the highest uh, number of uh, uh, that they have the highest risk of sexual assault out of sexual assault groups in general and uh, my uh guess is is that the predators are actually the adults and they're the male adults and I, I think actually our United States Supreme Court just helped in that regard with this uh, uh, Strauss from Ohio State and uh, you know that's a predator of student athletes has nothing to do with gender or anything else it's just a uh, uh, an adult that was taken advantage of him of course the whole thing at Penn State again yeah I think all the examples that anybody can think about is it's the adults that are the problem not the uh, not student on student but talking about the Supreme Court um, in in the bathroom uh, issue uh, there was a case back in 2020, and um, I, I remembered it, but I looked it up last night to, to give myself a little bit of a refresher. But Neil Gorsuch, who is not the most liberal person under any circumstance, he's a very conservative justice on the U.S. Supreme Court, he uh, authored an opinion that applied uh, federal civil rights to LGBTQ workers in an employment discrimination. Oh, right. I remember that. The yeah. interpretation of sex mm-hmm. in the statute. But he specifically said, we are not addressing the bathroom issue in this case. And really, at the time, if you know jurisprudence, there was no reason to because uh, there was no split in the circuits. 
So then a couple of cases came out and they um, they basically affirmed the right of transgender to 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 use the bathroom, uh, I guess, of their choice. And uh, the Supreme Court passed on one of those. Well, now the 11th district has come out against it and said that schools can ban that. So now there's a split and the things I read about what's going on in the Supreme Court is they'll probably take this up and make a decision on it. And I'm gonna be very curious as to where the Supreme Court comes down. Imagine a Supreme Court did decision that affects so few instances of concern, right? Well, but, but listen to the politics of this. And I know you guys are around the state house and uh, the, the politics in the judicial area are almost as bad anymore. It's gotten to the point where I think politicians figured out that if they could control the judges, I don't mean control them in, in the sense they're pulling the strings, but to get more conservative judges appointed, it's going to help them. So when you look at this uh, decision at 11th Circuit, this is um, in Atlanta, it was a seven to four vote. And it said that uh, a transgender boy was not entitled to use the boy's bathroom in a public high school in Florida. Surprise, surprise, right? It's Florida. The judges in the majority, all seven of them, were appointed by Republican presidents, six of them by Donald Trump. The dissenters were all appointed by Democrats. That's not happening, you know, uh, in a vacuum. That, 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 that's the way that it's designed now. And it's to, to Jack and I, it's just sad that your political bent or your conservatism is is directed in a certain way and uh, uh, as you sit on the bench but um, I don't know the Supreme Court is throwing some curveballs right now so it's going to be interesting to, to see um, how that goes what was our other bill it was um, I had it here Mallory there was one other that House, you, House Bill 8 and what's what's House Bill 8 Oh, that's where they out the students, right? Oh, oh that's a great one. Yeah, yeah. What's did, going on with that? Yeah, tell Lisa? us about that. Um, so I think Mallory would have more to say on oh, this one. Sure. So House Bill 8 is what is known by some as the Parents' Bill of Rights. Um, it is a bill that does a number of things, right? But some of the things that we're most concerned about relate to essentially what would require schools to out LGBTQIA plus students to their families. And this kind of falls under two things, right? One part of the bill says that schools would be required to let parents know if quote unquote sexuality content would be taught in schools. Now, what is sexuality content? That is not what the bill, you know, the bill explicitly defines it not as um, STI prevention. It doesn't, um, or, you know, just education, right? It does not uh, prohibit schools from teaching anything about, you know, so child sexual assault prevention or any sort of sexual assault prevention education around that, right? But, you know, the implication is that it does mean anything relating to LGBTQIA plus identities. So that could mean, a, you know, English class. They want to read a book where there's a queer or trans character in it, right? Even if that character, it's not central to the, the plot of the book. It just is like, oh, you know, Bob held hands with Joe. That could be flagged as sexuality content, right? In a, in a similar vein, right? That wouldn't be the case if, the, if Bob held hands with Jane, you know? And um, 
secondary to that too, not secondary, but like in addition to that, the bill would also require schools to notify parents if there's a change in a young person's mental health, physical health, things like that. And in that, it also requires schools to, you know, it would require them to let parents know if a student discloses that they're gay or trans, or, you know, they're going by a different name than maybe the one they're using at home. They're going by different pronouns than maybe the ones they use at home. And that is a huge area of concern for us, right? Because so many young people, and that's not to say all young people, but a high percentage of young people don't feel safe coming out at home, maybe because their parents have indicated that they would not be supportive of their young person if they were gay or trans. Um, maybe it's because parents have shown that they wouldn't be supportive, right? It, it could be for a number of reasons. And young people go to school and, you know, they're there to learn, but they're also there to socialize with their peers. And maybe a young person feels more comfortable coming out around their peers. And maybe a teacher overhears that young person coming out to their friends. That teacher would have to then contact the student's parents and say, hey, you know, I over heard that, you know, Bob will keep using that name, right? <laughs> Bob came out as gay. That could put that young person at risk of, you know, facing homelessness because that young person was kicked out of the house. It could lead them to experience any number of mental health challenges because of that anxiety that they might feel about being outed to their families or to other people who aren't supported. There, there's so many adverse side effects, if you will, of, of this legislation. I... Are these kind of concerns voiced to legislators? And if so, what is the response? So concerns about child safety. In other words, if the child isn't sure. if the child isn't using a preferred name at home, I would infer that that child feels at risk. Right. And so when you bring that is that concern brought to a legislator's to the legislators, and if so, what do they say in response? Yeah, that is a really great question and brings me to another point of this bill that's extremely concerning. And yes, that has been brought to legislators' attention, but instead of addressing that and being concerned, well, we want to make sure that students are safe at school mm -hmm. and at home, right, in this case, um, they actually have doubled down and said that there are no reasons, like if there is um, concern of abuse, abandonment, or neglect at home, that doesn't prohibit the teacher from disclosing that information. In fact, they still would have to make that report to the families, even if doing so could lead to abuse, abandonment, or neglect. So again, if a student comes out maybe to their counselor, to their teacher, there's a lot of young people who look up to their teachers and they find a supportive relationship, not an appropriate relationship, right? But they see this adult in their lives as a mentor, as someone they can trust. They come out to these teachers, they come out to their friends, somebody at school, and they say, hey, I'm telling you because I want a supportive adult to affirm me in my in my life, right? That supportive adult would then have to go to the parents who might not be supportive and and out that young person and put them in a dangerous situation. So then what you're really saying then is legislators just turn a deaf ear to that risk as if it doesn't exist, I suspect. Yeah. Sure. And it's going to worsen the homelessness crisis that we're seeing LGBTQ plus youth face. I mean, we have a homelessness crisis at large, um, which is something that, you know, YW Columbus is intimately familiar with as a shelter. Um, and we are seeing, um, not at our shelters because we don't primarily house um, LGBTQ plus youth, but we are seeing the numbers go up. Um, and it is really striking and really concerning. Now, is that a result of, um, 
uh, failed parenting so that the children leave the uh, the house uh, you know before they're ready it could be really anything but you know a lot of kids get kicked out or they feel unsafe or they feel like their parents are not going to understand i mean i remember what it was like being 15 and coming out as bisexual to my parents now my parents were incredibly accepting but i was scared to death to tell them and I was lucky that I was accepted and loved but so many families are not like that not all parents are their kids biggest fans um, especially if they're coming from a completely different perspective and they want to then send their kids to conversion therapy or they want their kids to um, you know be withdrawn from school and all these things that make their kids feel less safe at home. We had a, uh, a gentleman on talking um, a little bit about due process rights for, for children in school, for, for school-age uh, kids, which brings me to mind that, you know, why can't students have some secrets from their parents? Why are the schools put in a position where we have to tell on the kids? You'd think the kids should have some right of privacy. And, uh, you know, uh, Ann and I raised uh, three children and, you know, it's a tough job and you have to stay vigilant because you don't want your kids to be harmed. But if the parents don't know something that big in the child's life, then the parents need to look at themselves in my mind. There's a thought that would be anathema to the average legislator. <laughs> well, I think Jack and I feel the same way. Our our uh, elected officials are just getting their hands into too many areas that they have no expertise, and they're micromanaging. Uh, Lalitha said something that I know you're going to love uh, in an article I saw about, um, you called it Ohio's chilling new pro-ignorance bill. <laughs> I love that because we had a whole podcast on, um, what was the guy's name? Uh, the Serino. Oh, yeah. Represented, Serino. Yeah. yeah. Senator was... Serino. And I love how you categorize that as the, uh, the pro-ignorance bill. Yes. SB 83, I've been going around calling it the anti-higher education bill because it does so many bad things oh. to higher education that I can't call it an anti-gay, you know, anti-trans, anti-CRT because... It is so overwhelmingly bad um, from its anti-China provisions to, uh, yeah, anti-DEI, anti-any progressive value, um, and making universities, like, not a safe space. I actually... um, So I'm actually going to grad school this fall uh, in Washington State, and I ended up not applying to any universities in Ohio because I knew this was coming down the pipeline. Yeah, and and that's that's too bad. Um, Did you hear uh, Liz Cheney's... um recent uh, comment they asked her what what is the problem she sees with the republican party and she says it's pretty simple they're electing too many idiots (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah thank you both for coming out um as always uh uh, jack and i appreciate being educated in, in areas where at our age they just weren't issues when we were growing up and, uh, and coming up in life. So uh, we appreciate your time and, uh, and uh, attention to these things and your support for really uh, uh, people that, that just don't have a, a real say in our system anymore. And let's remember that they, they weren't issues because people were damn afraid to talk about them. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably. All right. Our thanks to WOSU and our sound engineer, Kevin Petrella. If you like what you've heard today, tell a friend. We want this show to be more than just us. We'll be back in a few weeks or maybe another week with another social justice issue. Until then, so long.